0: Hello, all you reinventors out there. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of this podcast and of CoveyClub.com. And if you are thinking of reinventing, oh my goodness, mosey on over after this discussion to CoveyClub.com and just put the word reinvent or reinvention into the little spyglass search area and you are going to be there for the next week. There's so much content on there to teach you how to reinvent yourself, step-by-step essays to inspire you, everything. But today, I want to talk to all of you, male, female, whoever is listening, and it could be you yourself as a young woman about this issue that is out there, which is called effortless perfection. And it's a myth that young women tend to adopt. And it means that you have to be beautiful, you have to be successful, you have to be kind and nice, you have to be the world's best girlfriend, the this, the that, the whole package, and put no effort into it. We all know this is impossible. Anybody who's lived a little bit like I have, this is impossible. But it is standing in the way of the mental health of a lot of young women who are in high school and college and beyond. And our wonderful next guest, Carolina Peterson, wrote a book called The Effortless Perfection Myth. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this uh, discussion. She did the research and Whether you're a young woman listening or you're a parent, you need to listen to this and you need to pass this to everybody with a sister, with a daughter, who is trying to be the perfect daughter, the perfect woman, the perfect young woman, the perfect college co-ed, the perfect high school student. We have this race with perfection that, in many cases, is actually killing a lot of us. And I have to say, as a, you know, on the corner of the end of the boomer generation, it breaks my heart that we have not let go of this idea that women have to be perfect. perfect. I thought this was gone. I thought it was something that hung around my generation And what Kara has shown us, it's still going, it's still going strong. We all need to nip it in the bud and she is going to give you great tips and tricks for doing that. And if you are around, we would love to have you also come join us in a discussion. If you listen to this early enough, Thursday, October 27th at 6 p.m. Are you the parent of an effortlessly perfect daughter? Five things she secretly needs from you. We're going to teach you how to spot this issue with your daughter. And um, hopefully that will help you and help her. So onward and here is Kara. Kara, welcome to the podcast. Lovely to have you here. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. So, wow, this is, you're really hitting right at the heart of what a lot of mothers fear that is going through um, happening with their daughters. A lot of us have these daughters who have been model citizens and more, who, you know, want to be the perfect young woman. They want to be a great academic. They want to be, they want to be it all. And, you know, a lot of it comes from, um, you know, they saw us trying to be it all this generation. We were told we could have it all, which we all learned is not true. But what is effortless perfection? Can you define what that means for us, for people who are not familiar with the concept and how does it apply to young women? Yes. So effortless perfection
1: is a term that was actually coined at my alma mater, um, Duke University, back in 2003 through their Women's Initiative report. And it's essentially this expectation that you're supposed to have the perfect grades, perfect body, perfect future plans, perfect everything. But of course, it doesn't take any visible effort. It's just part of your natural essence, if you will. Um, And my research really shows that Effortless perfection tends to create these environments where people are so set on making it seem like they have everything put together at all points in time that when they do inevitably run into struggle, they look around at their seemingly flawless peers and assume that they're the only ones struggling. And so out of fear of being labeled, you know, the broken one or the one who couldn't keep up, they keep all of that to themselves instead of seeking group commiseration. And it ends up becoming often a a
0: serious mental health threat. And so how pervasive was that when they studied it? And why did they think that they were seeing it in that? You know, why didn't they find it before? I mean, I could say when I went to Duke as an undergrad, it wasn't effortless, but you were supposed to be perfect in your social life and perfect in your academic life, but it wasn't supposed to be effortless.
1: Yeah, I think in terms of, you know, where this pressure is coming from, I think there's certainly like pressure to make your family proud, your community proud. I think, you know, it continues to get harder and harder to get into college these days. And so students that, Make it to you know sort of this level are really operating from a space where they're not motivated by oh, I want to I want to achieve this incredible goal. They're almost motivated by fear of if I don't achieve this incredible wonderful thing, like the consequences will be dire. Um, just to give some statistics, today's college women are leaving college with less self-esteem than they came in with, while our male peers are leaving with more. We're seeing young women question themselves more in academic and leadership roles due to gendered phenomena like imposter syndrome and stereotype threat. 10 to 20 percent of us are estimated to develop eating disorders in college. We experience depression at twice the rate of our male peers. I was really surprised to see that. And really nobody is catching on because it's hidden beneath this gilded front of effortless perfection. We're putting on this act and it's too convincing almost.
0: Now, how did you get involved with that? Why did you glom on to effortless perfection and when did that happen for you? Mm. So in high
1: school, I was definitely identified as a kind of golden girl through various awards and lofty expectations i went off to college thinking i am on the ultimate path to success um but then by my sophomore year i had an eating disorder my junior year i was struggling with anxiety attacks and my senior year i had a major depressive episode so you know if i was supposed to be this example of someone who'd made it or had it all as you had said earlier something was seriously wrong, especially because I knew it wasn't just me. I saw this as a trend among many of my peers of all backgrounds, especially women. And I think a lot of times it's those who seem to have it the most together who are struggling the worst. I think that applies, you know, outside of college. As a teacher, I teach middle and high school students. I see it there. Um, I, I also notice it in, you know, my parents' friends and my my elder peers. So, um, I think it's it's an issue that kind of continues unless we get to the heart of it and and reinvent ourselves.
0: How does it cross over racially, economically, sexually? Is it true for LGBTQ? How does it how does it work that way? Yes.
1: So I was really curious um, when speaking with my interviewees. So when I I was writing my book on this topic, I interviewed female identifying individuals of different races, sexualities, and socioeconomic statuses at like 15 plus universities across the US. And I felt like this was important because I had heard, you know, oh, effortless perfection, that kind of seems like like a white people thing. And I was really curious to dive into that. Like, what does that mean? And I, a lot of the women of color I spoke with talked about feeling like they had almost two simultaneous pressures. Like one was that they were supposed to live up to the expectations of their, you know, university uh, culture, which were often coded in ways that were really white, but that they also equally felt the need to live up to these standards presented by their uh, ethnic and racial communities, which could in some ways be conflicting. So for them, it wasn't just effortless perfection. It was like these competing value systems. And it really felt like they couldn't win in one space without like losing in the other. Um, for LGBTQ plus individuals, they said something kind of similar, like, I don't know, that kind of seems like a thing for straight people. <laughs> I was like, all right, what do you mean by that? And yeah, you know, they said that essentially, for them, it felt like being effortlessly perfect was about being the best possible version of the status quo, and a key you know uh, expectation for meeting the status quo is heterosexuality, and so they felt like they were automatically you know, barred from really being able to embody it. But at the same time, they also said that there were certain aspects of effortless perfection that they actually felt they were chasing harder than a lot of their peers, because there was this feeling of, oh, if I can be conventionally attractive or popular or really smart, maybe the world will go easier on me. It was almost like a um, shield against homophobia. And then, um, for 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 students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, there was sort of this feeling that a lot of their peers didn't have to think about money and um while for them it was something that was constantly back in the back of their minds. So for them, reaching effortless perfection was really about shielding and hiding that part of them that had to think about money all of the time and be more conscious because that didn't fit into the mold of being, you know, effortlessly perfect and flawless and having that all just flow out of you as a natural expression of who you are.
0: God, add the financial pressure on top of that. Being effortlessly financially perfect, right? Yeah. Jeez, holy moly! What a now. What role do you think, or were you able to figure out? Um, did the the moms or the dads play in this? Did you? I mean, I I'm suspicious that our whole, you know, it is our generation that raised a lot of these kids and we felt you know we were the second generation my generation to come out and actually enter the workforce full time and the women before us they were really men with skirts basically they were the first mm-hmm. women in into the treehouse and they pulled up the ladder right mm-hmm. so we had to do it all we had this myth that we were going to do it all perfect mother perfect Worker perfectly. And somewhere along the way, each one of us crashed into a wall because that is not possible. It's completely insane. Mm-hmm. Did that have anything to do with our girls and, and how, cause this, we also believe that we have raised a generation of girls, you know, X or not X or Z's and millennials who are a lot tougher than we are.
1: Yes. So there's a lot there to unpack. Okay, um, Sorry. <laughs> there... <laughs> no. pull, it, pull it apart, however. Yeah. So there is a quote by Courtney Martin, um, who's a feminist author, and she wrote this book called Perfect, Perfect Girls Starving Daughters. And it focuses on disordered eating, especially which I think is is definitely directly related to this feeling like you need to appear to be effortlessly perfect, you know, the key first part of that is your image. Before your image passes it's almost like the rest of you doesn't count. Um, But she she said, we are a generation of women who are told we could do anything, but heard that we had to be everything.
0: Wow. That's intense. Yeah. Right.
1: And so I think, you know, I was just speaking at a boarding school up North and we were talking about how for the young boys, it feels like they are allowed to choose like one specific identity. Like I'm going to be the hockey bro, or I'm going to be the math genius. And that can be their whole identity. And they can be seen as, you know, ultimately successful, effortlessly perfect for doing that for young women, and just all women, it sort of seems like we have to be all things to all people all the time, you need to be MVP, valedictorian, and, you know, a a pinup, (laughs) all at once. And so, I think, um, you know, as a middle and high school teacher, I, I see this pressure and these expectations trickling down into younger and younger groups. And what I really think as a parent, you need to keep in mind, and it sort of feels uh, like counterintuitive, but I have this chapter in my book called Stuck Inside the Good Girl Trope. And what I dive into is how there's this drive to be good that is somewhat of a gendered phenomenon because young girls' brains have been shown to develop at an earlier age So we pick up on these emotional cues that encourage us towards compliance sooner than boys' brains do. And we start to fall in line and behave more favorably, you could say, first because we can, and then because we're rewarded for it. And it doesn't really take us very long to start believing I'm most valuable, I'm most lovable when I'm following these good girl rules. And so we crave that approval more and more. And we gather all of our eggs in one basket to receive it. And as a result, you know, all of these good girls are missing out on experiences that are vital to building true self-esteem based on, on more than pleasing others and becoming what we've been granted permission to be. You know, we aren't allowing our, our girls um, the freedom of exploring alternative identities or, or making mistakes. And so I think as a parent, you know, you want to protect your child. You don't want them to hurt because when they hurt, you hurt. But also, and, and you want a well-behaved, you know, type A child who's succeeding. Like that reflects on you well. Oh, you must be doing something right. Your your child gets all of these awards and things like that. But I think it's important that we ask them where that motivation is is coming from. And that's what we can get more into. But I, I really need to be asking our young girls, you know, where is that motivation coming from? And asking ourselves, you know, as a parent, where, where does my motivation to, to achieve X, Y, and Z come from? And and how is my child maybe also taking that in and learning that from me?
0: I'm really surprised that you're saying that the good girl thing still exists. That's fascinating oh, to me yes. because- because I look at your generation and below as so much more ballsy, so much more, I'm not going to take that shit from anybody. I looked at the Andrew Cuomo sexual assault um, uh, debacle when he said, I don't know if you watched this happen, where he you know, was hitting on a 25-year-old who became a whistleblower, And he said, oh, I didn't realize that the uh, lines had moved. It's like, no, the lines never move. It's just you're dealing with it, with our daughters who aren't going to take that shit from you. But you don't see that. You don't see them as tougher and, um, you know, more outspoken, more likely to hold the line than, I mean, my generation, we were just, you know. We were pleasers we were that's we were still told to shut up and go to our our bedroom and be quiet. How I do you see that,
1: that? I think we're both. I think
0: you know Gen Zers are different from
1: millennials, and I interviewed both. I think Gen Zers are definitely more willing to point out social injustices um, but I think they're still. I think there's two those are two different things. I think that, you know, being able to point out issues in society doesn't necessarily mean that you still wanna don't wanna earn good girl points by being the top student, top athlete, well-behaved kid. I think that now part of being seen as as strong and capable and you know, a good student and, and things like that. Also, there is this being able to, again, point out injustices and and protect yourself and others. Um, But there's still this need to achieve in a very specific way. And I think, you know, in high school, it can look different from how it looks in college. Like, for instance, um, I saw several young women who felt like in high school, you know, the way to be effortlessly perfect was to not be seen as being like sexually active. Um, That was something you kept more on the down low. But then as soon as you got to college, suddenly it was like a huge part of being effortlessly perfect is being like this empowered sexual individual. And so there's sort of these different stages of life where there's different expectations that switch on you really quickly. Um, I think the good girl is something that's more middle and high school. And then it kind of changes on you when you're in college and you can be more rebellious. But a lot of that is almost a reaction to having been expected to be this good girl in the past.
0: Because I still, and many of my generation still struggle where, you know, fifties and sixties were dealing with still being the good girl. You know, <laughs> it's a, it's a really, it's a really tough thing to shirk. How does a parent know that their accomplished terrific you know daughter they have a lot of pride in might be having these issues you say that they hide it they hide the the pain mm. that goes with it they hide the stress they hide how do we know what are the signs to look for and there are there any girls who are just getting along just fine and they're not you know, sacrificing their inner self to do it?
1: Yes, definitely. And I think that when I was interviewing young women, a lot of them really identified with effortless perfection and these hidden struggles, but there were a couple who seemed to have it more figured out. And I think they weren't putting the same kinds of of pressures on themselves. They were driven but their motivations are coming from the right places as opposed to the wrong places. In terms of signs to look out for, there's three major ones that come to mind. The first is that your child exhibits inflexible thinking um, or avoids situations involving uncertainty. So they might have just one vision of what success looks like and have a hard time accepting alternative approaches to achieving their goals. That's something to keep an eye on because inflexible thinking and and anxiety are really closely linked, which can negatively impact mental health. Uh, Another big one, which was definitely an issue for me, is showing signs of reassurance addiction, uh, which is another way of saying that she craves external validation to an unhealthy extent. So reassurance addictions function by causing individuals to stop trusting their own judgment when it comes to their personal worth. So things like grades, the weight on the scale and other forms of quantitative measurement become a really big fixation. And that's something to keep an eye on because it means that confidence and self-esteem are built on pretty shaky ground because it's focused again on these outside sources. And the third thing to look out for is if your child is a people pleaser, has a hard time setting boundaries and saying no. And I think it's sort of that good girl thing again, being selfless, you know, it, it has its downfalls. It's important to know how to hold people accountable when they're asking for too much. Um, I think a lot of young women have yet to learn that they can't burn themselves to keep others warm. And so, you know, they want to solve the problems that they see in their family or their community by being, you know, at least the one person that nobody has to worry about. And so they internalize a lot of what's going on around them. So those are the those are the three major ones that come to mind.
0: And when you say um, that they're looking for outside validation, what are those? So are you, I mean... What are you looking at? Are you looking at somebody who's running to the scale four times a day, or what are the outside, like as a parent, what are we looking for? Mm. Or is it just a conversation about i have I mean, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'm, I'm worried now. <laughs> like, what, I, what is the um, actual, well, you know, what am yeah. I looking for? Yeah.
1: So, you know, a lot of it can be, can be hidden because it's hidden beneath sort of these things that we've seen as a positive, like having straight A's, um, being a really good athlete, being, uh, you know, having a t- uh, need to come across as very like popular uh, and, and having followers on you know TikTok and whatnot. I think that um, it's really what I recommend is seeking to open lines of communication without forcing some grand intervention. So you might be hearing this and thinking, "I need to go talk to my child right now," <laughs> and yeah, that can be really overwhelming. I think it's more about planting the seeds, signaling that you're a safe space to share and unload. I have an entire discussion guide on my website that goes chapter by chapter through my book. So if there are specific issues like body image or confidence or hookup culture or, um, you know, all of the above, that there are specific questions that you can ask. Um, But honestly, I think the biggest message to convey to your child is helping them to understand that effortless perfection really creates this sense that like love is something that you have to earn by being pretty enough, smart enough, popular enough, agreeable enough, when that's a lie. Love and affection can't be felt fully by the receiver when they believe that those things only come as the result of measuring up to an ideal or through the vigilant micromanagement of their own nature. And I think my parents tried their their best to convey that to me but I think the more the more seeds you can plant the more comfortable your child will come feeling to you when they really do need help with the issue because I also think there's a lot of denial there you know and a lot people aren't really going to face an issue until they believe it's actually an issue um, so you know it, it's sort of about being there through the waves and making sure they know that you're always there to have that conversation and that you're a safe space.
0: How about also I'm uh, I'm wondering about telling your child who is, you know, in college or beyond when they keep coming to you for this, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I wear what I what I think we have to do is because we want to protect right we want to protect we want to answer um whether we're helicopter parents or whatever the heck we're called these days we want (laughs) to we want to be the helper and you know and it's very interesting because sometimes my daughter when we would get into a tiff about something she would come to me with something and i would immediately start trying to help her well you could do this you could do and she's like you know what mom just listen I don't need you to fix it. Mm. And it took a lot for me to learn to say, okay, what would you do? What would you like to do? What do you think you should do? Sometimes it's just a a dropping and a venting and dropping, but we're so programmed to help. We see somebody needing a life, you know, a life preserver thrown to them. And sometimes they're just coming and saying, I just want to vent. Mm. and had and I've learned and I don't know if this but I but then so because of that and just because my daughter's very vocal about what she needs um I've stopped trying to fix and I say what would you do I know you know how to do this I know you know how to I know I know you know how to do this yourself
1: yeah I I think that piggybacking off of that there are when when you start say I come home and I say to my mom, you know, I'm really struggling with this thing. And her immediate reaction is to fix, which again I understand when your child's hurting, you hurt. Right. <laughs> like the, right. That's how that works. Um it it's almost like they skipped over the part of of validating your feelings. Um, yes. Right. And so when I was interviewing individuals for my book, I noticed a really perplexing trend where a lot of these young women felt ashamed of their mental health struggles because they believed that whatever they were going through wasn't bad enough to be feeling the way they were feeling. Um, like they hadn't earned their mental health struggle. They would wow. they would say things like, um, I have a great life. I get to attend this amazing college. I get good grades. I have a good family. I'm well-liked you know, what's wrong with me? I just shouldn't be allowed to feel this way. I haven't earned oh, it. Wow. And so there was definitely this fear of being seen as weak, shallow, unappreciative, attention-seeking when asking for help for anything wow. less than the worst-case scenario. And I think that part of that comes from, you know, these shocking stories we see on the news and social media. There's this constant reminder there are others who have been through so much worse. Um, This was particularly a trend among my, uh, the among children of immigrants, and also uh, women from low-income backgrounds on college campuses who had access to college, you know, like first-generation college students who had access to, you know, opportunities and resources beyond their parents' wild, wildest dreams. But then they're struggling because, you know, they're the they're the first to have to figure it all out, and their parents are like, "Well, I don't really get it," you know. And so, um, there's, I think it's important to listen and validate your child's experiences and also help them to know that just because someone else out there has experienced something worse doesn't mean that they're not allowed to ask for help regarding their own issues. You know, that mindset really turns mental health into a contest when it shouldn't be like pain is pain and and hurt is hurt and making sure your child knows that it seems obvious, but with my interviewing, it, it it really seemed like an issue that people were having a hard time fully accepting.
0: Very, very insightful. Very interesting. Wow. Uh, yes, I can see that, you know, you have so much. You're so lucky. Why are you complaining? Mm-hmm. We, we had a walk. We had a walk to school in bare feet. And exactly. um, yeah, so, oh, wow. Incredible stuff. So, in our last few minutes, Kara, why don't you talk a little bit about, you know your we're reinventing our our look at our children and our girls through this lens of effortless perfection. What can the mothers and fathers do who are listening to change our perspective? How do we look differently? And see what's really going on. Is is there a way to change that point of view? Um. Well, you know, I think it's helpful to read on
1: these issues. You know, Mm -hmm. I I I wrote this book for students. You know, for young women who are experiencing this, but but also for parents so that they can feel like they're a fly on the wall of the dorm room, sort of observing and understanding this issue before your child you know, he feels ready to talk to you or figures out how to talk to you about it. So I think that having those those head starts of just sort of understanding what the structural issues are that are existing on high school and college campuses is really helpful because then you're already a couple steps ahead. I think in terms of helping your child navigate effortless perfection, I think it's, you know, I, I talked a bit about motivation, and where your motivation comes from. I think it's really helpful to talk to your child about the harm, the full harm that can be presented by perfectionism in general, mm-hmm. um, and, and ha- use that to rethink where their motivation comes from. from. I think without that full understanding, it's really easy to stay stuck in your circumstances because you don't feel like it's quite bad enough to do the hard work or to make some massive change. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of perfectionists treat accomplishment as a cure-all and sort of co-opt people-pleasing as a personality. And mm. they, have, they, they have a what. You know, they know oh, I need to achieve, excel, succeed. But they have that what without a why. Um, they don't mm. really necessarily have that this, for this reason, for this cause, you know, this is my motivation. And I had a quote that I wanted to to read. It's by Anna Quindlin. She really hits the nail on her head, on the head. Um, she says, someday, sometime you will be sitting somewhere, a berm overlooking a pond in Vermont, the lip of the canyon at sunset. Sorry, I, let me start that over. Someday, sometime you will be sitting somewhere. A berm overlooking a pond in Vermont, the lip of the Grand Canyon at sunset, a seat on the subway, and something bad will have happened. You have lost someone you loved or failed at something at which you badly wanted to succeed, and sitting there you will fall into the center of yourself. You will look for some core to sustain you, and if you have been perfect all your life and have managed to meet all the expectations of your family, your friends, your community, your society, Chances are excellent there will be a black hole where that core ought to be. I don't want anyone I know to take that terrible chance, and the only way to avoid it is to listen to that small voice inside you that tells you to make mischief, to have fun, to be contrarian, to go another way. So for me personally, I think you really need to have a why to get through hardship, And hardship is inevitable. So the sooner you really learn your why, the sooner you get to build that core to sustain you that can get you through life's up and downs. And until then, you're you're kind of stuck. So I think, you know, helping your child to realize that perfectionism is a maladaptive coping mechanism, you know, Mm -hmm. used Mm -hmm. by people Mm -hmm. who struggle with anxiety and um, people-pleasing tendencies and an intense fear of failure. And, you know, we try to compartmentalize all of our fears within walls made up of leadership titles and awards and compliments, but they're still waiting there for us. And so we really need to do a shift and reinvention to be able to, you know, be resilient and, and have an identity that, that can make it through all of life's ups and downs.
0: Awesome. Kara, I'm so glad you wrote the book. And do you want to tell us the name of the book and where we can find you? And let's talk just for two seconds about you're going to come teach a Covey class on Thursday, October 27th at 6 p.m. And we will drop the link to uh, the tickets um, in the show notes so you can find them. But why don't you tell everybody what you're you know, where we can find the book with, and um, your handles so we can follow you.
1: Yes. So my website is carolinapeterson.com. That's C-A-R-A-L-E-N-A. And Peterson is with an O. Uh, I have a newsletter there that you can sign up for. It only comes out every other month. So I'm not spamming your inbox. I have a Instagram handle at Effortless Perfection Myth, that has more regular content roughly twice a week. Um, I also have a lot of, you know, my, my TEDx talk and various other talks I've done and articles are all posted on my website if you're interested in checking out that work. Um, and then in terms of the, the Covey Club class I have coming up that I'm super pumped to teach, it is diving more into what are some of the the signs that you should be looking out for that your child is struggling with effortless perfection. And I'm going to dive much more into the, the nitty gritty and also be able to answer questions at the end from, from parents.
0: And we want to be able to say, I I always, whenever I would try to talk about these topics to my daughter, she would shut me down right away. She'd be like, oh, mom, that's ridiculous. So we need to figure out how do you, like, if you raise these things and you have the type (laughs) of kid that's like, oh, that's ridiculous, you know, what do you say? How do you get over it? So hopefully all of that will be discussed in our class And thank you, Kara, so much. I'm thrilled you did this work. And I think it's fabulous and really, really important.
1: Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me.
0: So thank you for joining us for this conversation. I hope this was enlightening. I hope this opened your eyes. I hope this gave you some confidence that You're not the only parent. You don't have the only daughter struggling. It's everybody, it's everywhere. It's just hidden and we must unearth it. You know, as they always say, sunlight is the best disinfectant. When everybody finds out that everybody has this issue, we can talk about it and we can make it less toxic. So I hope this was helpful for you. I hope it helped you reinvent your vision of what it is like to be a perfect young woman today and how we have to get rid of that word perfect completely. And if you like this, I hope if you have an opportunity, you will give us five stars wherever you are for the podcast so other people can find us and leave us a comment. And mosey on over to CoveyClub.com and check out all the reinvention stuff that we have for you right there. And we are, in it for you we are in it for your daughters we are in it for keeping families and mental health happy and stable going forward until next time